Wednesday, July 18, 2018. This is Born the Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Timothy Lawson. If anybody caught uh, a glance of the uh, opening ceremony to the All-Star Game, the Major League Baseball All-Star Game that took place on Tuesday night, you may have seen, uh, I think it was 30? Medal of Honor recipients there at the game being honored. Very cool sight. Uh, one of the veterans who was there, Benny Adkins, a Vietnam veteran, uh, actually swung by VA on Monday for an interview. Uh, that interview will be released here on this podcast next week. So please be sure to check out that episode if you're not already subscribed to Born the Battle Whichever podcast app you are in right now, go hit the subscribe button. If you're listening to this in a web browser, go check out Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, wherever you'd like to listen to podcasts, go find Born the Battle and hit the subscribe button. And if you're into it, leave a rating and review for us as well. Thank you. Nice little update on vet the vet text system. VA recently launched VetText, a text messaging appointment reminder system, which to date has helped VA reduce no-show medical visits by more than 100,000. VA introduced VetText in March, and 138 VA facilities are currently using the automated interactive text message system, which reminds veterans of upcoming healthcare appointments, allowing them easily to confirm or cancel the event. According to the Veterans Health Administration Office of Veterans Access to Care, as of July 9, more than 3.24 million patients have received vet text messages and canceled 319,504 appointments, freeing up time slots for other veterans to use. Veterans who have previously used the healthcare system with a cell phone number listed in their electronic healthcare records are automatically enrolled in VetText. So if your phone number, if your cell phone number is in there, you're automatically enrolled. Veterans can update their phone numbers during the check-in or checkout process for an appointment at any kiosk. So if you need to update your your cell phone number with VA uh, for this purpose or for just for contact purpose in general, you can do that at any kiosk at check-in or checkout. VetText is integrated with VA's electronic healthcare record system and does not require manual action by VA staff. So this is an automated system that not only saves time with uh, canceled appointments and then making up making up that, but uh, VA staff time are freed up as well. Appointments are automatically scheduled and canceled via text message, freeing staff to provide more personalized care to veterans. So if you're interested more on this, you can just Google vet text, V-E-T-E-X-T, or if you go to va.gov and search vet text in there, you will find it as well. Uh, but a very, very cool, very simple program that's saving VA a lot of time and allowing us to be more efficient in the way that we provide care to veterans. This week's featured interview is with Dan Kanasen. Dan is a Navy veteran who was injured in, during a deployment from an IED. He suffered serious injuries to his legs above the knee amputee and uh Shortly after he got out, he became he got involved in adaptive sports and became a Paralympian, most recently res- winning the gold medal in Nordic skiing uh, at the Winter Olympics. Dan sat down to talk to me about his time in the service, the event that caused his injury, 
accepting his injury, moving on from it, getting involved in adaptive sports, and his experience in becoming a gold medal Paralympic athlete. Man, I don't know why that was so hard for me to say. Anyways, my conversation with Dan's great. I know you're going to enjoy it. We grew up together. We believed in something bigger than ourselves. The military took me to one side of the world and her to the other. And even though she was always the strong one, when we caught up years later, I found out she had fallen on some hard times. It was her call to make, but doing it together made all the difference. For veterans who are homeless or on the brink of homelessness, call 877-424-3838. Navy veteran Dan Knossen. Sir, thank you so much for joining us here on Born the Battle. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be here with you. Uh, Dan, we're going to start this where we start all interviews, and that's the decision to join the United States military, the one thing that all of us veterans have in common. Uh, bring us back to that day for you. What brought you to the decision to join the military? Well, I grew up in Kansas on a fifth-generation farm. My father was uh, not on the side of the farm that had the farm, but he married into, into the farm through my mother, and he was in the Marine Corps in Vietnam, and his father was in the Army during World War II. Um, you know, I don't really feel like I that there was a decision point that I said, I'm going to go in the military or that it was even a choice. It just was the direction that I was going to go. Uh, I think sometimes the best uh, decisions we make in life often don't really come across as decisions or just the most natural course of action. In high school, I wanted to combine college with military service. And so I was oriented towards the service academies and I applied to West Point and the Naval Academy. I felt like the Naval Academy just had more options. You could do the army, so to speak, but in the Marine Corps, um, as well as fly, you go to some Marines, surface warfare. There was this uh, mystical thing called the SEAL teams as well that I thought would be interesting. So I just I just gravitated to the Naval Academy and I joined. Uh, the first day was <clears throat> called Induction Day at the Naval Academy where uh, you kind of shed your civilian clothes and you're issued plebe uniforms and sworn in in uh, Tecumseh Court at the Naval Academy. I, I definitely still remember that. It was a hot day and just kind of in shock. Yeah. What... Um... Can you tell me about a, a close friend or a great leader that you had while you are in the military? You can choose either one, but tell me about that person. Well, uh, yeah, I had a, a great leader. When I was, um, when I was injured as a uh, platoon commander at a uh, SEAL team, this was in 2009, my commanding officer, who's still in the Navy, and he's an Admiral Select now, he was just the epitome of a SEAL officer, and uh, I really, I still have the utmost respect for him. And um, that that is because of a variety of um, traits that he exhibited. Uh, certainly he led from the front. He was um, experienced uh, both tactically and at the strategic level. And he also had a uh, degree of compassion. Uh, this was uh, very, very well demonstrated when I was injured and the way that he dealt with my mother 
uh, on the phone and, and, and follow-up calls. And so I had, I think, a very well-rounded leader he was and, and still is. And, and I'm very uh, excited for him that he's going to be one of the few uh, SEAL officers to be an admiral. Yeah. When, um, so you, as you mentioned, you were, you were injured, uh, as platoon commander for SEAL Team 1 when you were in Afghanistan in September 2009, stepping on an IED. Um, when, it, you know, in, in that event, when did you, when did you actually come to and realize what had happened? Were you, were you conscious shortly after the explosion or, or, or was it not until you were in the yes. hospital? Uh, so I was, uh, a platoon commander doing a turnover operation with a unit that was going to shortly thereafter leave the theater. Uh, so as a leader of the platoon, I went out early with other key figures. And this is uh, very common. Uh, you'd go out early to kind of learn how operations are planned and executed and um, the sort of general status of the battlefield from the guys who are about to leave I, with all the, with the, they've, uh, the experiences that they've accrued over their, over their time in theater. So this was a turnover operation. I didn't have a leadership role. It was more observational. Um, I was, it was at night. It was a nighttime assault operation, a fairly large and complex operation of which I was on a, a component that was on a, a small component that was on a, uh, elevated uh, piece of key terrain and, and we were clearing it. And in that process, I stepped on an IED. It, uh, it certainly, it rendered me in heavy shock. Uh, I think I was probably unconscious for a little bit, but to my knowledge and my recollection, I don't remember that. I just remember kind of, I think I might've even been launched a little bit in the air, but I came, I came to pretty quickly and I don't even remember not being awake. It just seemed like it was a seamless transition. Yeah. But my first impulse was to try to uh, signal to my teammates what had happened to me and where I was, but I didn't have my radio uh, push to talk where I should be. Uh, things, <clears throat> I'm sure my gear, my kit was in disarray. I didn't have my night vision on anymore. Um, they quickly came up to me and, and rendered uh, tourniquets, uh, going through the full assessment, um, as well as providing security and, and, and starting to clear a path to get me off of that, um, hilltop. So they, um, they really, they deserve all the credit. I didn't, I didn't do anything. Uh, they put their lives on the line to save mine. Um, everybody up there, all my teammates got, uh, awarded silver stars that, um, that's just a, a medal that in my world, they they've got the ultimate um, respect that I can give. And, and, and that doesn't have a name or anything, but I like a silver star, but it, it has to me like just the most amount of gratitude I could ever uh, give to those guys. And um, I, I hope to think that if, um, if I was in a similar situation, I would have acted like they did as well, but I'm glad that it happened to me and not to them. You know, I think it's interesting, you, you, you know, you, you say, you know, just a medal and, um, you know, I think to a lot of us, it's, um, uh, you know, when we see someone with a silver star, that means, 
means a lot, right? We we uh, we we know there's something heroic and, and valorous behind that, but um, you know, to people that are in the action, um, you know, that's just the that's just the thing they got for for doing what they felt was the right thing to do or the uh, the thing they were trained to do. Yeah, and I, I don't mean to diminish the importance sure. of a silver star. I just think the perspective is. I think what I'm getting at is just it's yeah, it's like if if I could give the, I would give the, every one of those guys a medal of honor in my world because what they did, you know, I'm incredibly thankful to be alive and uh, to think that I might not have made it out of there. I mean, I, I've lived so much more life in the almost nine years since that happened, and and I have a long way to go and. And, uh, you know, I owe all of it to them. And so that can't be encompassed by uh, a silver star, a medal of honor, a bronze star, whatever you want to call it. Like they've got everything that I could like give, which is just gratitude. Yeah. Know? I just in, think in its simplest form. Yeah. Yeah. I, was, I, I just think the, the perspective is, is interesting to look at when you, when you think about how differently um, people who were there and people who are learning about it after the fact and just the different perspective that you have. Um, yeah. So you went to uh, you went to Bethesda uh, for rehab and then later Walter Reed where uh, where uh, you went through um, where you learned how to walk Um Yes. Yeah. You got your facts straight. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you. Research. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Um, I was talking to the national uh, director of Paralyzed Veterans of America last week, and one thing we talked about was sort of you know after an injury, realizing that you're not going back. When when did you have that realization that that I'm I'm done? I'm not going back to the Navy. Yeah. You know that. Uh, that didn't happen until I actually got on the prosthetics and I realized, uh, wow, this is this, I'm not, I'm not going back, but you know, that, that dream of returning, <laughs> that kept me going in the beginning. And so I'm glad that my bubble wasn't burst. It's all about goal setting for me. And if I didn't have a goal, after my injury, laying in a hospital bed, unable even to get on my side, much less get out of the bed. If I didn't have a goal, I don't know where I would have been. And the goal of Paralympics or that, that hadn't kind of coalesced in my mind. It was simply get back to what I was doing before. Prosthetics are amazing. Let's get back. People were telling me, oh, plenty of amputees have returned to service. I come to find out that those amputees aren't missing two legs above the knee. Uh, there's just differences in injuries. And, um, it took, it took beginning prosthetic physical therapy for me to realize that as a double amputee above the knee, I am not going to be running and gunning operating. I could continue serving in the military. Nobody, nobody in the SEAL community said you need to exit. It's just, it was going to be a matter of, uh, doing more administrative work. Um, it could be work that supported operations, but it certainly would be administrative in the sense of, uh, you know, it's behind it's in on computers. It's, um, in safe areas. So I had to make a decision. Like, do I want to do that? Or do I want to kind of get out and and pursue something else? And, and, and once I, it was almost like, like once I realized that I'm not going back to the operational phase, um, then 
it was immediately, you know, let's pursue athletics where I am. I'm fully going to be operational within the context of a disability. Yeah. And that's, that's where the Paralympic movement has come in and been so uh, crucial for my recovery, my, my mental and physical well-being. Yeah. How, like, so how, how were you introduced to it? Was, were you introduced while you were in rehab? Who, who, like, how did you learn about adaptive sports? Yep. Well, so when I was going through the uh, physical therapy on my prosthetics at Walter Reed, there was a liaison from the U.S. Paralympic Organization, which falls under the U.S. Olympic Committee. And I met with her and we decided to uh, send me out to a sports camp in San Diego. And I did that thinking I'm kind of, I'm interested in track and running or maybe swimming, but I met the coaches for the biathlon and cross country ski team. And they invited me to a camp uh, later, later on, like more towards the beginning of winter in West Yellowstone, Montana. And once I started that, I was hooked on cross country skiing because it got me out in the woods, uh, in the mountains. And uh, I had a great deal of mobility in the natural environment and, and not to mention biathlon seems so similar to uh, what an infantry or special forces um, operator does, um, you know, move and shoot and move, shoot, communicate is the mantra of um, these units. But in this case, it's moving and shooting and that's the nature of the sport. And I just loved it. And it was a reconnection with the natural world. It's very meaningful after being stuck in a hospital inside for weeks and weeks yeah it's a perfect fit really sure and and then so how how did um you know cross-country skiing how did you uh why that sport how did that become uh your expertise well yeah so it it, it was a natural fit for me because it, it got me in the woods so you have to, i wasn't getting outside very often in the beginning of my hospital phase and and although um, I had started to learn how to run and, and hand cycle and that I could kind of get near the woods, but I felt like in cross country skiing, I'm really like on trails again. And I loved before my injury to go mountain running, trail running, mountaineering, um, to be in the back country. And so this seemed like a little more organized way, but to do it, um, to do it and represent the U S it's, yeah. it's like, that's such a good deal and, and such a important thing. And, and yeah. to layer on biathlon to cross country skiing, it just seems uh, logical for me. Right. When, uh, when my colleague and I were at the team USA awards, one of the things we were, we were asking a lot of the, um, a lot of the veterans there were, you know, what's it, what it's like to, um, to represent your country in this different capacity um, and how it's different and yet how it resonates with the same feeling that you had when you served. Um, can you, can you comment on that and, 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 uh, and um, expand on that? Well, yeah, it is, it is a, an honor, but it's, it's an honor for everyone. It doesn't have to be a veteran um, to be, you know, all of us representing the U S feel that pride, but, uh, it's just different. I mean, the, uh, the reality is, is when I was serving, it was at its best. It was something that you did and you never got recognition. You never got attention. You did your job. You did it well. You stayed quiet. 
that was the ethos. Now it's it's under the super, or, you know, the uh, the media will observe. There's interviews. There, there's definitely more of a spotlight. Um, so it's, it's it's sort of a different context, no less uh, important, but. I certainly miss what I was doing in the military and um, I found that athletics has been a, a good substitute, but if I could take it all back, of course I would, I would still be um, at an operational level working with those guys who I miss a lot. Yeah. But, uh, that's just, uh, I'm at where I'm at and um, I'm on a, I'm on a team, which is important to me, but I'm operating as an individual. Now I have, there's, there's uh, coaches and there's lack technicians and, and there's definitely like, a train of support, but uh, when I'm out on the snow and, and my teammates, when we're out, we're still operating as individuals. Whereas in the military, I was incredibly bound to my teammates, and as was demonstrated in my in the case of my injury, they they responded without even thinking, without hesitation, to try to save my life, putting their own life at risk. And I'm not ever gonna uh, feel that kind of camaraderie in sports right. is just not the same amount of uh, gravity. But uh, again, it's a, it's a substitute, but it's, it certainly makes made me proud. And, and um, the gold medal was a very proud moment. But what I was reflecting upon was more than just winning a race. Though that didn't really matter. I think the journey and the process and, um, where, how it even began? Why am I in this situation? How? Why did I lose my legs? Why? Why am I uh, in the Paralympics to begin with? It all just kind of sunk in, and it's been a long journey for sure, but one that I'm proud of, and it's been exciting, and I've loved it. Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of veterans, and and you alluded to a little bit earlier when you're talking about you know joining the military. A lot of veterans, you know, talk about the desire to serve the. Um, the drive to um, to serve not only their country but their community, and something that I've been curious about when I talk to veterans lately is if they ever felt like they actually satisfied that original desire. Do you feel like you ha- you've got the opportunity in the military to uh, to actually satisfy that original drive? Yes. And I don't yeah. think it's, I don't think it's a box that you just check. Sure. I mean, there, and there's many ways to serve. It doesn't have to be in the military. Uh, but I think we can equate service with just helping society, helping the community. Um, there may be an element of personal sacrifice as well in terms of either being gone, not getting paid as much as you could make in a different capacity or in other aspects of the personal life. Um, I don't feel like being a member of Team USA is serving to the extent that I served when I was in the military because there's not the amount of sacrifice or risk. But uh, for the first time when I was in Korea, I felt like I as an individual was able to reach out and help other people through through their observation of my story that didn't really happen in Sochi because I wasn't getting higher high results like I was in Korea. So in order, I've, I've learned that in order to, 
to do this and to feel like I'm helping other people, I need to do it well and be well and train hard and put myself in a situation where, um, I can, um, be noticed by the media, but that's not why I'm doing this sport. It's, it's kind of an odd dynamic. Like I just want to train and work hard, but yet I still want to feel like I'm helping other people through doing what I want to do for myself. To give people an idea of um, of your sport that maybe that aren't familiar with it, um, in in skiing um, and in, in the biathlon, how how were you fixed to the ski? It's a sitting ski, is that right? Yes, it's a. So there's three classes. Uh, one class is visually impaired, and they ski with a guide. One class skis upright using skate or classic technique, and they do not have a guide. Uh, typically it's uh, upper body impairment. And then I'm in the sitting category where, um, people with major leg impairments, uh, compete against each other just using double pull, which is, um, which is pretty, pretty, uh, grueling to say the least. I mean, I thought I was a good athlete when I first got on a sit ski out in Montana for that first snow camp that I went to. And I just, I could not believe how fast my teammates, Andy and Sean were, they were blowing by me as if I was just going at a snail's pace. And, uh, it was very humbling, but it, at the same time, it seemed to me like this could be a, a great challenge, uh, to, to try to train and uh, get to that level that they were at. It is, it does require a lot of technique, but, uh, power and endurance for the upper body. No doubt. It's also a technique that standing skiers use. And so I do like the fact that uh, Olympic cross-country skiing athletes can very much respect what we're doing because they utilize the double pull technique but it, amongst other tools in their toolkit. But it's all that we're using is double pull. Interesting. What, um, when you're not... When you're not training for Team USA and in, in the Olympics, are, are you playing other adaptive sports? Well, I, do, I certainly utilize cross-training. Uh, cross-country skiing is a sport that requires cross-training because of uh, snow. I mean, if you really are aggressive, you can get snow eight months of the year, maybe a little more, but um, it, it, not, it works itself out well. That's why I think why I'm so excited about skiing every year is because I – typically stop skiing in mid to late March, get April as a break, go to a snow camp in Bend, Oregon in, in late May for a couple weeks, uh, maybe go to a, a Southern Hemisphere snow camp in August, either in Argentina, Chile, or New Zealand. Do that for a couple weeks, come back. But, but really, you know, you're really excited for the winter when it shows up. Um, unlike a, other sports maybe where you really can train year-round if you want to, uh, cross-country skiing has kept me so excited for the next season. Uh, I've uh, played around with different forms of cross-training, uh, certainly swimming and running and hand cycling, and I've recently gone into surfing if I just need a mental break. But the, the paddling of surfing is a is wonderful strength development, and uh, prone paddleboarding is a uh, – a similar way to surfing, paddling with the arms, and it's it's a great way to stay in shape too. In, in a specific way with the muscle groups that I need to be focusing on. 
So you you competed in 2014. You competed in 2018, where you got a gold. Congratulations on that. Um, oh, thank you. Are we going to see you in in 2020? Are, are you planning on on competing? Should you qualify in 20, 2022? Oh, I'm sorry, 2022. Or, yeah, in Beijing, right? Yeah, uh, it is in Beijing. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm going to take it year by year, and uh, I can tell you, I'm very excited about this next season. And that's the first season out of the next four years. Uh, go year by year, see how my body's doing. I've learned a lot about training. I've learned to recognize when my body is telling me to take a rest. Well, I can't say that I fully recognize that, but I, I'm, I'm learning to at least be aware when my body is telling me to rest. And, and I, I, uh, I think it's, it's very important to rest and recover. And I'm, I'm gaining an awareness of that. And, and also the importance of stretching and taking care of the shoulders and you know, getting massage. And, and I've recently started seeing a chiropractor. And, and so if I do these things and do them well, I think there's, there's really no reason why I wouldn't be in, in the, uh, in the mix for uh, one of the try, to try out for one of the spots for the team in, in four years. Yeah. I don't. I don't want to be. A, I don't want to be a, a downer here, close to the end. But I. I do want to ask this question because I think it's. It's important sure. for veterans to remember this. You. Know, you talked about how. Just how important sports was when you were transitioning, when you were recovering from your injury, and just how vital it's been to both your physical and your mental health. Um, you know, the, the body does wear and tear. The the capabilities of a body does start to be limited. Have you thought about? Um, how you're going to uh, maybe not replace but supplement uh, that part of your life as the body starts to become more limited in its capabilities? You know, that, that is something that has been weighing on my mind what, because I am so uh, driven to compete. But I think what happens is a natural transition to – and I don't think I'm ever going to stop wanting to move. Mobility – is so important and it's a way to get outside. It's a way to get fresh air. It's a way to be in nature. I don't see myself ever stopping that. So maybe there's new ways to compete a uh, local 5k, which I do th- that anyway. Um, but, uh, hand cycle races or just to get outside and get exercise. But, um, the point, I think, I think the body and the mind are more integrated than we want to give them credit for. And right now my body is, so hungry to start racing again next winter that I think that that's a wonderful signal, like between the mind and the body that I'm, I'm absolutely still ready to go. I would imagine that as I age that I may just not have that hunger anymore. And then that would be my, my body telling me it's time to move on. And, but it wouldn't be as uh, much of a downer because uh, of that, you know, lack of hunger if that makes sense. So I'm not right. too worried about it, uh, but I'll always want to be uh, getting exercise and getting outdoors and just and moving and seeing new places and exploring the world. And, the, um, and, and, and so that requires equipment. It requires uh, customization. It requires a lot of uh, effort to go and, and as well as uh, funding, to be honest to have the prosthetics, to have the hand cycle, to have the uh, adaptive surfboard and, and all that. So I've been very fortunate. Um, the VA has helped me so much, been tremendous. And, uh, you know, I've through the Paralympic organization, I've seen 
the challenges that athletes from other countries face, and we have it pretty pretty good in the U.S. Yeah, tell me tell me about a skill set or an experience you had in the military that's contributing to your success today. There are many parallels between life in the military and life as a disciplined endurance athlete, uh, discipline, regimen, uh, adhering to a structure, training, traveling, uh, the parallels just go on and on. And so I found that the discipline and that I learned in the military has really helped me as an athlete and that, uh, you know, I wake up, get breakfast and I train, I train and it's become a habit and I don't even have to think about it. And the other thing that I really like is I, I saw this in the military. When you, when you take a bunch of individuals and you put them together as a unit and then you methodically and incrementally train them, they gel, they uh, adhere and they become one, so to speak. And to see that progress and to be a part of it is really special. And that has sustained me since my injury, uh, when I was at ground zero for me, which was stuck in a bed, not even able to get into a wheelchair. Uh, from that point on, there's nothing but progress. There were setbacks of course, but, uh, I only had up to go from there and to see that progress, uh, just kept me going. And it's, it's, uh, it's a special thing. And, and that's what I love about training is how, how you can see progress. I saw it in the military through all the training that we did. Tell me about a, a veteran or a veteran organization that has you excited about what they're doing right now. I'm really excited about the organization called one more wave. They have reintroduced me to surfing. I, uh, obviously I was a seal. I, I, became enamored by the ocean. I love to be near it, in it, on it. And, uh, I didn't think that after my injury that I could really navigate a beach crossing, getting in the water. What if the current takes me a thousand meters North from where I put in? Um, how do I get back across the beach? How do I towel? Where do I do? Well, the sand is everywhere. I'm wet. How do you get back to your car? But uh, with these guys, uh, and, and one more wave was started by uh, active duty uh, SEAL members who gave uh, a, a significant portion of their already limited free time to set up this nonprofit and to help veterans get back into the water. And through that, they really focused on customizing surfboards, and and that that was really important. And so I wanted to give them a little bit of attention because they, they definitely deserve it. And, um, and for me, just, I just, just got back into surfing like three years ago and it's, it's been so wonderful. That's wonderful. Dan, it's been a real pleasure talking to you, sir. I, I'm I'm, uh, it was nice to meet you at team USA. I'm glad we were able to get this interview going. I know everybody listening, uh, has enjoyed learning about your service, your transition, then, uh, you know, your success with team USA. And I, I am hopeful and look forward to seeing you compete in Beijing in 2022. Thank you very much, Tim. I appreciate your uh, your willingness to engage and uh, and to cover and hear my story, and uh, um, hope to see you again soon. I was a gunner's mate, Tonkin Golf, logistics, Ramstein, medic. 
Kandahar. As a veteran, it doesn't matter when or where you served. Infantry, Camp Pendleton. Or what you did. The VA has benefits that may be useful to you right now. See what VA can do for you. To learn what benefits you may be eligible for, visit www.va.gov. That's www.va.gov. One of the reasons why me and other members of my team attend uh, Team USA events when they have them is to connect with the veterans that are a part of the adaptive sports programs and that are um, using adaptive sports in their recovery and just in their uh, in their everyday life post-military. If you're interested in adaptive sports, just Google uh, VA adaptive sports and you're, you will find a handful of links. The one you'd be most interested in is probably Sports Club Finder for VA adaptive sports. That's va.gov slash adaptive sports. This week's Medal of Honor citation is for Victor Vifquain. The Medal of Honor citations range anywhere from long, extravagant words of action and valor that read more, uh, that have more action in them than some war movies. And then you have ones from the Civil War, back when the Medal of Honor was really the only award that they were giving soldiers for their actions that read uh, with, uh, with only a few words. Again, this is for Victor Vifquain. He was in the Army, rank of Lieutenant Colonel, 97th Illinois Infantry. The conflict is the Civil War, Year of Honor, 1865. Citation reads, Capture of Flag. We honor his service. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I know there's a lot of options out there for entertainment, so I do appreciate you taking the time to listen to these stories from these veterans and learn about how VA is delivering the best care possible to these veterans and empowering them uh, in their community and supporting them. Please follow us on Twitter at DEPT Vet Affairs for more stories from our community. We'll be here next week with Medal of Honor recipient Benny Adkins. I'm Timothy Lawson, signing off.